Well, what an incredible set of prayers that we just said together and sang together. The Lord's Prayer and then the song which we just participated in. And a major focus of both of those prayers is the name of God. The name of God being glorified and honored throughout the earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. And we think about it, this really is our task as the church, to bring honor to God's name, or to be more precise with our language, to join in with God hallowing His own name. God is the chief actor in the play. He is the chief actor in this story that we are a part of here at Brentwood Oaks. And it's our desire that as the kingdom of God spreads throughout all the earth, and here in Austin, Texas, that God's precious name will be honored and hallowed by more and more people. And make no mistake about it, the kingdom is spreading. The kingdom is spreading in ways that only God could orchestrate. We saw it in the picture of the, the small group there in Sao Luis. God has been preparing those hearts for some time now when they're already seeing some fruit by what God is doing down there in Brazil. Which brings us to one of the most fascinating chapters in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 13. It's in this chapter where Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God and what all is entailed in the kingdom. Now just as an aside, let's talk about kingdom just for a minute, about that word kingdom and what it means. Kingdom means what it has always meant. When we talk about the kingdom of God, or to use Matthew's language, the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about is God's reign. God's rule. That's what kingdom has always meant. We can look up in our history books. We can read the fairy tales. We can look at different countries right now, people that actually live in a kingdom where the king exercises sovereignty. A kingdom is a realm, a sphere of influence, a proximity where the king's rule is lived out, the king's reign. And we live in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has come among us. Now, a kingdom is not to be confused with church. So I I come from a small town, a small town church. And in the church that I grew up in, we never said the Lord's Prayer because of one line. The line, thy kingdom come. And the reason why we never said that is because our reading of Scripture was that church was equal to the kingdom. And if the church has come, the kingdom has come, why would we pray for the kingdom to come? So we never said the Lord's Prayer. I, I, read, I read that differently now. I have a different interpretation of that, that the church is not the kingdom, the kingdom is not the church. The church is an expression of the kingdom. It's an expression of God's rule. We are a community of people who gather together under the kingship of God. So, the kingdom has come in the sense of an inauguration. Uh, I've used the language of invasion before. The kingdom has invaded through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom continues to come as it is spread all over this world. And then, of course, the kingdom is coming. 
there will be a day, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, there will be a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The kingdom will come in its fullness. It will be fully realized. So when we read kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the realm of God's reign, the realm of God's rule. And frankly, there are people, there are nations who are living outside of God's kingship. And so we await the day when our Lord will return. I think it's important to parse out those terms, especially when we come to passages like Matthew chapter 13, which is all about the kingdom of God, the receptivity to the kingdom of God. This kingdom that was first announced by John the Baptist in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The earliest proclamation of Jesus when he went throughout Galilee preaching in the synagogues, what was his message? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is coming. He sent out his disciples with that proclamation to announce the kingdom of God. And much of his teaching is about the kingdom. We spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago where Jesus describes in some very specific instruction on the upside-down nature of the kingdom. That unlike the values of the world, people who are blessed, people who are happy, are those who are poor in spirit, mournful and meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, even those who are persecuted. It is completely upside down, this kingdom of God. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uses a different tact, a different style in order to talk about the kingdom. He begins to talk to the people in parables, these short stories, these Analogies of comparison. I like what C.H. Dodd, a New Testament scholar, once said about parables. He says this. He says that parables, the purpose of parables, is to tease out, to tease the mind into active thought. The purpose of parables is to tease the mind into active thought. That's the power of story. Have you ever been around somebody who can really tell a good story? They draw you in, and then you're able to connect the dots to different aspects of your life. That's the power of parables, and that's the power, power of the parable. I should have worked on that. Power of the parable that we're going to talk about today in Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the sower, uh, another title of it is the parable of the four soils. And one of the reasons why this parable is so powerful is because it can speak to everybody, anybody. No matter where you are in the journey of faith, if you're just hearing this for the first time, or you are a believer, you've believed for decades, there's something in this parable for you this morning, if we have the ears to hear. So we heard this read in our Bible classes. I'm going to read this once again. The parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. Hear the word of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So they got, he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears... For they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in, in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. And from what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. May God bless the reading of his word. So I want us to take a moment and think back to our childhood, and to think back particularly to our schooling Maybe a specific class or a specific concept that was very difficult to understand when you first encountered it. Maybe for some elementary students, it was fractions. Was anyone else intimidated by fractions when you first saw them? Logarithms? Diagramming sentences? Spelling? What is it? When I thought about this question, I went back to my 7th grade math, math class. I had an excellent math teacher. He was quite good. Maybe not on this one day when he was introducing basic algebra to us. There was a big disconnect between what he taught and what we understood. 
Obviously, it made an impression on me. I remember exactly what he did. He went up to the chalkboard and gave us no context. He just wrote an equal sign on the board. And then he started to draw shapes on different sides of the equal sign. And then he just repeated this phrase for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He said, if you add four diamonds on this side, it's the same. If you take away four circles on this side and take away four circles on this side, it's the same. And he kept saying this over and over again, and we just kind of nodded our heads as if we understood what he was talking about. And that's not, not necessarily a bad introduction lesson, introduction to equations and the balance of equations. But then he gave us our assignment, and our assignment was, had all these problems on it where we had to solve for x using a combination of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And there was no bridge between those two. And it was a profound mystery to all of us. I don't think I've ever been so confused after that lesson. I remember staring at my assignment and thinking, I'm waiting for that moment of clarity. It's not coming. Well, I wasn't alone in that. You might say that the teacher's lesson had fallen on hard soil. I think there's something similar going on in Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus is talking about the poor soils, talking about the receptive nature of the soils to the seed, the gospel, the message of the kingdom. At the heart of this parable is this idea of the message taking root, the good news finding a home in the heart of the disciple and growing and producing fruit. But there are barriers to this, and really this, this parable highlights all the different barrier, barriers to the gospel taking root. And Jesus names them, these barriers to internalizing the message, these barriers to having understanding of a lesson. There are many reasons why the lesson remains abstract for people who hear the good news. So Jesus names the first one, he talks about spiritual warfare, that this is the work of the devil. And I would again recommend the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I've mentioned this before, but Lewis paints a real colorful picture of the demonic and their work of, of really attacking the gospel and keeping it abstract for the believers and not allowing that understanding to take root. The devil, as Peter says, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it gives the devil great delight to, to swoop in and snatch that understanding before the gospel is able to take root in the heart of the believer. But Jesus talks about other forces. He talks about some forces from within, some from without. So we can read the book of Acts, we can look at church history, and we see the persecution of the church, which comes in many different forms, and the marginalization and, and being made fun of. Last year, I, th I think it was last year, I showed a picture of some ancient graffiti, and it was a man on the cross who had a horse's head, and the graffiti said, Alex worships his God. There's a price to pay for following Christ. There's a price to pay from leaving the old ways and living out the new life. And when the pressure is turned up in that time of testing, the strength of the roots of the gospel are tested. And for some, and perhaps 
many in the early church, the roots were weak, and the allegiance to Jesus was fleeting, and they wilted in the pressure. Jesus also talks about the, the pressures from within, the temptations, the, the lure of wealth and worry and anxiety, these things that draw our gaze away from God and onto ourselves and onto our need for security and status and wealth. In many ways, the parable of the sower is Jesus' commentary on what we see throughout the Gospel of Matthew. That would be a good exercise to do if you're looking for a Bible study to, to work through the Gospel of Matthew and identify the four soils within the Gospel of Matthew. They're everywhere. It's all over Matthew. Even in the disciples themselves. They did not understand. The seed had, had taken root, but Jesus had to clear so many things up for them. And then at the end... There at the trial of Jesus, when the pressure was turned way up, what did the disciples do? They fled. Peter, Jesus' closest confidant, friend, disowns him. The seed had not found good soil, even in the disciples. Yet, it's about to come. Of course, we see the four soils played out today here in Austin, Texas, among our neighbors and even within ourselves. So Jesus has announced the kingdom of God, God's reign to us. And a question for us to wrestle with this morning is, do we have understanding of the good news and what it's all about? Has the gospel taken root in our hearts? Or is it still abstract and nebulous? Has that moment of clarity come for us? Or are we still having a hard time getting our minds around what God's reign is all about? And for those of us who have followed Christ for years, for decades maybe, are there still areas of our lives that are outside the reign of God that we are perhaps subconsciously or maybe even consciously pushing God's reign away are there still commandments of God in which we have not submitted? Do the lures of wealth, security, still challenge our allegiance to Christ? I guess the basic question to think about this morning, and we'll take a few seconds to answer this in silence, which one of the soils are we this morning? As we come here to this place, which one of those soils do we identify with? Let's think about that for a second. I remember going home that night after that math lesson and staring at that assignment, not having any idea how to solve for X. It was a mystery to me. 15, 20 minutes into the homework assignment, I kept thinking, I'm just not getting it. It's not coming to me. That moment of clarity was fleeting. Kind of like that dream you're trying to remember is right there, but I 
couldn't get that aha moment. wasn't clicking. So I went to my secret weapon. There are disadvantages to having a teacher for a mother, but there are advantages as well. She was a math teacher. She certainly knew the basics of algebra, so I went to her and I said, hey, I've, I'm not getting this. This is... I told her about the lesson that my teacher had taught me, and I asked her, can you help me with this? And she looked at the assignment, and she grabbed a clean sheet of paper, and she started to write down some problems, and she started to teach me the basics of algebra, just the very rudimentary basics. I remember her saying, it's just like a puzzle. You have to whittle that equation down using the right order till you have X by itself on one side. And then after a few minutes, that moment of clarity came. And things began to crystallize. And that lesson that my teacher had taught me began to make sense as to what this was all about. That's the way math works. It can be excruciating when it's just right here. You can't quite get it. But when it finally clicks, it can be exciting. And especially with something abstract like algebra, whenever it clicks, a whole new world of mathematics opens up. Well, maybe this morning you come here and you are new to the faith, you're new to the kingdom of God. You feel it in your bones that there is truth in Jesus Christ, but it is still abstract. You haven't reached that moment of clarity just yet. I want to encourage you to press on in that journey of faith. I have full confidence that that moment of clarity will come by the grace of God. Whenever Paul speaks to the Athenians, he describes God to this group of people who had never heard of God, and he says that God created us so that we might seek after him, that we might reach out for him, that we might find him, even though he is not far away from any one of us. God is not far away from any person in this room this morning. Maybe you've come to faith, maybe you have believed for some time, and the gospel has taken root, but right now your faith is under fire. You've met adversity. Your faith is hanging on by a thread. And you have some doubts. Let me encourage you to press on in that journey of faith. I have full confidence that the gospel will find deeper roots, especially in a faith that has been tested under fire. Maybe this morning you've been a Christian for decades and you woke up one day recently and you realized my faith has grown stale. God's reign is a challenge for me and there are other voices vying for my heart, voices that are alluring and exciting and tempting. Think of the, the people of Ephesus that John is writing to in Revelation, how they lost their first love. Maybe you've lost your first love in Christ. 
I want to encourage you to press on. Press on in that journey of faith. I have full confidence that you will see the enduring power of the Lordship of Jesus and the blessings and the benefit of allegiance to Him and Him alone. Faith is a journey. It is a journey of the good news finding root in the heart of the believer. And whenever that moment happens, that moment of clarity, that aha moment, a whole new world opens up. Or, as John says in his gospel, I write to you that you may believe, I write all these things that you may believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, the word is Zoe, you may have life in his name. Eternal life. Eternal life that begins even right now, in the present. A life of fruit bearing. A hundredfold, maybe 60, maybe 30. God is with his people here at Brentwood Oaks. Emmanuel, God with us, is looking for good soil. May he continue to find good soil among us so that his name will be glorified throughout all the earth and especially here in Austin, Texas. We have the opportunity this morning to respond to the good news. If you have heard something in the singing, in the prayers, in the opening of his word, you would like to respond, maybe repent and to turn back to God. Maybe there's some areas of your lives that are outside of God's reign, and you would like to reorient yourself around the center to come back to God. Now is the time to do that. If you have come to faith, and you would like to be baptized, we can accommodate that. If you have been immersed and would like to join in with what God is doing among us to place membership with us, now is the time to come as we stand and as we sing.